Um, this is Aisha Siddiqua at uh, the School of Oriental and African Studies, London, in conversation with Andrew Small, uh, a transatlantic fellow with Asia Program at the German Marshall uh, Fund. And we are here to discuss this very exciting paper by Andrew, Returning to the Shadows, China, Pakistan, and the Fate of Seabeck. Um, so, Andrew, you know, it, it's a fantastic read. You know, it's, it's an eye-opener. So what's happening with CPEC, China-Pakistan Economic Corridor? You say there is no Belt Road Initiative version 2, BRI version 2 for Pakistan. Why? Um, I, I think we've gone through three phases with it. The first kind of ambitious set of transformative plans um, that saw um, up to $25 billion worth of projects moving ahead. Um, we then saw a real slowdown for, for two or three years um, as a result of a number of political obstacles and, and problems in, in, in Pakistan. Um, we've effectively now seen uh, the army kind of take back control of the initiative again. So we're having a sort of resumption of CPEC, but not on the original scale envisaged um, and not in a way that's really fixed many of the problems that were, were actually troubling CPEC uh, in, in, in the first place. So rather than there being a kind of CPEC 2.0, BRI 2.0, um, all you have is kind of a slimmed down version of the original with a different set of people running the show on the Pakistani side. You know, before I before I take you to the, the more geopolitical aspect of it, I'm just curious. I mean, had Pakistan Muslim League, Nawaz Sharif, the former prime minister of Pakistan, had he been running the show, still been running the show, would the speed would have still been good? Or did you, you know, do you think that it would have slowed down anyway? So it was slowing down anyway, uh, even under the PMLN. Um, we the, the economic challenges that Pakistan was was facing meant that it was starting to become difficult to finance new uh, projects. Um, and also some of the reservations that there were in parts of the business community and, 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 and even in the army didn't mean that there were kind of drag factors on, on CPEC already. Um, but I think the level of political commitment to it would have been much higher and the enthusiasm on the Chinese side, certainly for, uh, for pushing ahead on the more ambitious scale um, would have been there. And I think there would still have been an expectation that um, if some of these short-term financial difficulties were navigated, that there would have been um, a kind of new impetus towards the kind of scaled up, uh, more ambitious version of the thing that was originally envi envisaged. Um, as it is, I think we've kind of effectively stepped away from the, the kind of plan that was, was, was originally in place and the, and the kind of theory that underpinned it when the whole thing was launched. So if, even if Nawaz Sharif was to return to um, to power now, because he keeps saying that, you know, China, he keeps emphasizing a relationship with China. So if he were to return to power, would he bring back at least some of the speed that BRI, BRI in Pakistan had then? I think China has accommodated to the, themselves to the fact that um, they don't want to get into the middle of any of these civil military tensions. Um, if the way of getting this to move ahead means um, a more significant role for the army in leading and executing the projects, then they're willing to do that. They've always been willing to do that in, in principle. Um, I think their vision of it did involve a slight kind of almost rebalancing of power within Pakistan. Their whole 
theory around this was effectively that, like China, Pakistan should think more about the economic fundamentals of national power and that CPEC was intended in part, among the many other things, as part of an instrument to realize that. Um, but I'm not necessarily sure that this was a vision that was, was shared on, on the Pakistani army side, um, even if there were plenty of people in the PMLN who, uh, who, who saw that as, as precisely what CPEC should be doing. Um, but I don't think there's a chance of a return to that version of things anymore. I, I think China got burnt um, over the whole experience with this. Um, and I think they'll go back to their traditional practice of kind of casting their lot more in with the army and, and, and ultimately seeing some of the civilian um, uh, politicians as, as yes, they, they need to play certain roles in executing elements of the project, but they're not going to be in the lead in the same way anymore. So, Andrew, if, if they were going to slow down anyway, then why did Ellis Wells, uh, the United States government, feel tro- so troubled by CPEC? Didn't they look into what was the potential, what was going on there? I don't think the I almost don't think the Alice Wells speech was 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 primarily about CPEC. To me, it was primarily about the wider competition between uh, China and the United States over the Belt and Road Initiative. It was almost unavoidable that CPEC would become part of that because it's the flagship. So it had to be a target at some point. But I mean, U.S. officials have given speeches on virtually every region in the world and the problems of the of the Belt and Road Initiative. If anything, South Asia and CPEC came very late, given the status of the thing. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think it was it was as much constructed around really deep concerns in the US government about CPEC itself. I, I think it reflected other political dynamics that were in play. And and the same goes for I would I would imagine the same goes for India. I mean India shouldn't have been troubled with CPEC and yet it is. I mean how do you see it in the context of the uh, Sino uh, Indian conflict in Ladakh? Um uh, we can perhaps that pick pick that up on uh, a next uh, cut in this uh, conversation. Um, I think we're just about to run out of time. Right. Okay.